During a faculty meeting at a college, an angel appeared out of nowhere and told the dean that in return for his unselfish and exemplary behavior through his life, that God wants to reward him with a choice of either infinite wisdom or infinite wealth, wisdom, or beauty. But he only gets to choose one. So without any hesitation, the dean said, I want infinite wisdom. Done, said the angel, who then disappeared into a cloud of smoke and a bolt of lightning. Then all the heads turned towards the dean, who sat surrounded by this faint halo of light. Slowly, one of his colleagues said, well, we'll say something. And the dean looked around at all of them and said, I should have taken the money. <laughs> now, obviously, that's not a true story. Um, but wisdom is one of those traits that uh, I think we all would like to believe that we have. Uh, but in truth, most likely, most of us don't. And I think one of the common mistakes we make is believing that wisdom and being smart are somehow the same thing, when in reality they're not. Last week I read a quote uh, by Mark Twain, said, it's better to keep your mouth closed and let people think you're a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. <laughs> and it's a funny quote, it's one of my favorites, but I think that kind of flowing from last week's message, it captures something about wisdom that other definitions don't. And that's this aspect of self-awareness and discernment that is attached to wisdom. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today is uh, biblical wisdom versus earthly wisdom. There's a difference between what the world considers to be wisdom and what God considers to be wisdom. So you see, last week we talked about... Um, this group of people that James was writing to that wanted to be leaders in the church. Uh, but their walk didn't match their tongue. Uh, they knew the right words to say. They knew um, that they wanted to be a leader. But their actions did not match their ambitions. They considered themselves to be wise and understanding. But it was clear by their actions that they were anything but. They thought that they were wise and mature and qualified to lead. But the wisdom that they thought they had was actually earthly wisdom. And what we're going to see through this passage today about earthly versus biblical wisdom is that true heavenly wisdom is expressed by living humbly, graciously, and peaceably. And that's the kind of wisdom that we should be seeking as believers of Jesus. So our passage today is James 3, verses 13 to 18. It says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show it by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So that's our passage today. And that, that very first verse um, 
it is really a rhetorical one. You know, who is wise and understanding among you? Uh, and it might even go as far as to being a trick question. Uh, if you think you're wise and understanding, uh, you're probably not. Uh, sort of in the same way that if I say, I'm a really humble guy, that kind of negates the fact that I'm actually humble because I'm bragging about it. <coughs> the next uh, the piece here is that um, there, there's a difference between godly wisdom and earthly wisdom. He says, let, it sh let them show it by their good life. If you're actually wise, prove it by the deeds that you do in humility that comes from wisdom. So if you're truly wise, you will know what is good and holy, and you will know how to do good in your life. And if you're truly understanding, then you will know that the benefits of living a good and holy life in humility from experience, and you will know why it is good to live that way. You'll understand why God's way is better for your life. And kind of the difference here is that you can know that God says you have to live this way. And that's fine. You can follow the rule list, but you can also understand why his way is better. There's a difference. Um, one is just you're doing something because you were told to, and one is understanding this is actually a better way to live. And the results of living this way are beneficial for me in my life. And so this is kind of connected to this last two weeks of messages. Last week uh, with the, the whole tongue thing, and, and then the week before with the faith and works. Godly wisdom is concerned with the conduct or behavior of your life. It's not necessarily about whether you're right or wrong. It's about how you conduct yourself in your daily life, whether you're right or wrong. And it's almost a challenge that James is giving here in this verse. If you truly think you're wise, if you truly think you're understanding, prove it. In the same way, that if you truly have faith, you will do good deeds. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Um, you can't have one without the other because the deeds prove you have faith. If you're truly wise and understanding, you will live in a way that shows you're wise. And uh, that's kind of that evidence piece. And it's kind of how we judge others as well. Um, because we kind of look at others and, and the way that we would point to someone and say, that's a wise person, is by how they live, their actions uh, and their words. There's evidence. Now, I'm kind of talking in this very uh, specific way because, uh, again, you kind of get the feeling studying these passages that he's dealing with a very specific set of situations going on. Um, and so clearly this was a problem at the time he was writing. But one thing that is clear from this passage, and we'll see that as we go through, uh, and this is more about how it applies to us, is that James considers wisdom to be a virtue that is available to anyone who wants to seek it. And that's something I want everyone to remember as we go through this passage, is that anyone can seek true, godly, biblical wisdom. So verses 14 to 16. This is kind of the test to see whether you're truly wise or not. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. So again, that's kind of the test. If, if you say you're wise, you'll understand the benefits of living a good and holy life. 
And you'll know why it's good to live that way. It's not just about following rules because someone said to. It's about, I can see how following these rules will lead to me having a holy and productive life. I can see why this way of living is better. Uh, so logically, if you understand the reasoning why God's way is better, but you don't follow that or you don't live that way, uh, you're probably not overly wise or understanding. James says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast or deny the truth. Now, the word translated envy here can be translated as jealousy or zeal. And, and we know through Scripture, zeal and jealousy aren't always bad traits. Uh, we know that um, when we turn our backs on God and give our attention and our devotion to other things, he's jealous for us, our attention and our devotion. God is jealous. And we know that's a concept that's well-rooted to the Old Testament. And it's right for him to be jealous because we owe him our worship. But in this passage, the word envy is preceded by the word bitter. It's bitter envy. And that Greek word bitter actually has a sense of hostility around it. Uh, being jealous or envious of the position of others to the point of being hostile towards them. And that's kind of a sense of the word here. And when you connect that with the reference to selfish ambition, I think that's when you start to see how this thought connects to last week when he's talking about people wanting to be teachers um, and how you shouldn't take that job lightly. And so you may remember that very first um, verse that we studied. Uh, I kind of talked a little bit about how there wasn't opportunities in the first century to advance from the lower classes. But the teachers and rabbis in the first century were held in high esteem because they could read and they had access to the scrolls. So today we all have at least one Bible usually. Some of us have multiple Bibles. You might have one on your cell phone. Um, you know, I, when I do my sermon study, I have access to a software that has 1,500 sermon resources and books and, and, and Greek study tools all in one program. But back then, there was just scrolls, and only the teachers had access to them, or even could read them. So it wasn't accessible to the public like today. So um, because they had access to the scrolls, in a sense, and not a good sense, they had the access to God. And that was not good. We see how that kind of uh, develops through the Middle Ages in church history. But you can kind of see how from a human sinful perspective, that would be appealing to people, to have that, that power and access. Uh, and so people in the lower classes probably were seeking these positions because it was a, an opportunity to advance. And so James gives this warning and says, you better understand what you're getting into if you want to do this. So based on all this, I think that this was not just an isolated warning. I don't think this was just an isolated problem. I think it was a problem in the church at the time. And that this passage is specifically pointed towards those who are trying to become teachers, the ones who think they are wise and understanding. But in reality, they were jealous of the teachers in the church to the point of being openly hostile towards them and ambitious. So I think this warning is for those people. Um, and this isn't something we can really relate to today because we don't have those same issues and to be completely honest, not a lot of people want to be pastors in churches. So we kind of have the opposite problem now. 
Um, but it's important to understand what was going on so we can kind of understand the context of the passage. Um, that's kind of what's going on here. So his first warning is that this kind of supposed wisdom that they thought they had did not come from heaven. It was not godly wisdom. It was earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And he says, whenever you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. So this kind of so-called wisdom that was leading people to these sinful acts, uh, it was not focused on holiness or Jesus. It did not recognize the power of living a holy life. And so really it was not wisdom at all. And so he's really calling these people out and saying, like, look at your actions, look at your motives. This does not resemble wisdom. And then verse 17 but the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. And I didn't just realize, um, I don't know how I did it, but I somehow jumped translations there. First time I read this passage was NASB. Uh, this is NIV. Um, that was totally a mistake. Uh, it was not some clever uh, thing I was doing there. So we just went through a description of what truly heavenly wisdom is not in the past verses. So now he gives a list of what true heavenly wisdom is. And we're going to spend a little more time here because, like I said, um, we kind of face a different set of problems in our, in our age. Um, we're kind of the opposite. We're not a lot of people want to be pastors. So we're not going to focus too much on that part. We're going to more focus on what heavenly wisdom is. And I think this is really where the application comes for us. So this should sound familiar because there's quite a few places in the New Testament where there's a list of um, fruits of the Spirit um, are given. Uh, we actually have one right on the wall here today that uh, I don't think was there last Sunday. Maybe it was, but uh, I thought that was cool when I walked in. <laughs> it timed perfectly. So it's not the exact same list, but it's very similar. And you'll kind of see these traits uh, throughout Scripture whenever people are you know, asking, what does it look like to uh, be wise or to follow Christ? This is what true wisdom looks like. Because someone who is truly wise will see and know the value of following Jesus and living like Jesus. And so these traits, they model after Jesus and how he lived. So first of all, the wisdom that comes from heaven is pure. And this really, this word pure connects to the purity that's spoken of in the Old Testament. A couple examples of this, uh, Psalm 12, 6. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. And it's really connecting to that idea of flawlessness here. And that's what connects to the idea of purity. They're kind of similar ideas in Scripture. Uh, the Greek Old Testament um, translations would use a very similar word here. Another example is Proverbs 21, 8. The way of the guilty is devious, but the conduct of the innocent is upright. And that would be, uh, in that passage, the innocentness idea. Uh, and that's what connects to our passage. Uh, so this purity, innocent and flawless, is how James describes heavenly wisdom. So if this is what is meant by purity in this passage, really, to be wise in this sense means to be one who considers, who, who follows God's moral directives with unmixed motives. 
And the motive part is really what matters. Um, and I, this will probably be where I'll stop and do my weekly reminder uh, for the sermon series on James that um, our works don't save us. Um, Jesus saves us, and we can't earn our salvation. Um, so I just want to remind everyone of that, um, as we do every week in this series, because uh, it is a very heavy letter. But the motives here is really what matters. The wise person is not trying to act holy or, or righteous or in a Christian way so that they can acquire a base of power or so they can become a leader or teacher or to look better than others. That's not why they do it. It's the motives. They are trying to live in a pure and holy way in an effort to serve God and honor Him. Simple as that. With sincerity of heart. That is the motive of why a wise person follows Jesus' directives for life. Now, purity really is the main description here. It kind of appears as a list in Scripture, but really, if you look at the structure in Greek, it should be purity and then a whole bunch of sub-points that kind of describe what being uh, wise in a pure way looks like. So it kind of expands on what pure wisdom looks like. So first of all, pure wisdom is peace-loving. And the Greek word here really essentially gives the sense of acting or behaving in a way that is conducive to a harmonious relationship with others. So living in a way that's peaceful, um, that, that, that promotes a peaceful relationship with those around you. Next is the word considerate. And I found this one very interesting when I studied because the, the Greek word has the sense of leniency. And if you look it up in a lexicon, the sense that is given is not insisting on every right of letter or law or custom. And that one made me stop and think for a minute while I was studying. What does it mean as Christians to not insist on every right of letter of law or custom? We, we know the Bible has rules for our lives. We know that it tells us how to live. There's commands for us to follow as Christians uh, about how we live and about morality. But then we have this telling us that wisdom that comes from heaven is considerate and tolerant and not legalistic about things like this. So how do we rectify those two things? And that, that was something that stopped me for probably a couple hours even this week. Just like, how do you rectify that? And I'm not going to pretend to have an answer to this question because I don't. Um, it makes me uncomfortable. It makes probably you uncomfortable. We like black and white. We do not like gray. We just want someone to tell us what to do and what not to do because it's easy. So we can just follow a list of things and, and that's what we do. We are supposed to be pure in our conduct, but we're also not supposed to insist on every letter of the law in the name of being considerate toward each other. That's not simple, that's complicated. We have to figure out what that means. And it leaves a lot of room for disagreement. What are the things we can compromise about? What are the things we can't? See, even trying to figure out how that um, is applied in church life, we're trying to define it in certain terms. And again, I don't have an answer to this. Um, I, I'm not, you know, I went to Bible college for a few years and learned how to study the Bible. Um, it does not make me an expert on every single thing in here. Um, often when you study, you get lots of questions that come up. But I think the important thing goes back to the motives. 
We have to check our hearts and see what our motives are. So the next word in this list is submissive, which can also be translated as compliant or obedient or persuadable. This is another one we don't like because we don't like being told what to do. The sense of the word here is ready to obey or easy to be entreated. In other words, don't be rebellious towards each other or towards leadership just because you don't disagree or you don't agree or you don't like somebody. And this is a very countercultural idea. It goes against everything we know uh, just as people in society. But the idea is that the wise person understands that there is more to gain in being submissive than there is in being disobedient whenever we disagree, because at the end of the day, we all disagree about something. The world gets mad and rebels whenever they disagree. And I think there is a time for that. But heavenly wisdom is about being different than the world. And the next in the list is full of mercy and good fruit. And we've talked about this over the past few weeks. It really started right from the third sermon in this series and has continued every week. Uh, in some little way uh, or another, this idea that as Christians, our actions should be full of mercy and fruit. We should have deeds to show that we have been changed. The idea is that as Christians, we are merciful to those around us, especially the down and out, the neglected and marginalized in our society. And our lives are to be filled with good fruit that is evidence of the faith that we claim to have. The wise person understands this and understands the benefit of this kind of life. And then finally, we have impartial and sincere. And this Greek word can be interpreted in two different ways. Both are applicable and apply here. Uh, the first is to not be judgmental or divisive. And the context around this strongly supports that interpretation. Uh, those who claim to be wise, who have worldly wisdom, but are not truly wise, they divide the church because of envy and ambition. But those with true heavenly wisdom understand the importance of unity and impartiality in the church. They understand that if a church is divided, it fails. And, and that's not just in a local context, that's the big C church. When we fight with each other and the church divides, um, you know, we have, I don't know if anyone actually knows how many denominations there are in the world at this point. Um, but that sends an unspoken message to the people in the world. And the second interpretation of this is similar, but with a slightly different nuance. To not be uncertain or to be unwavering. And that points back to last week. The idea that with our words and our mouths, what we use them for, we can't flip-flop back and forth. The worldly person uses the right words maybe on Sunday, but then flip-flops when they're at work. Maybe they make excuses in their faith or don't truly even try to live out their faith. But the one with true heavenly wisdom is committed and unwavering in their faith and devotion. And I'm actually going to uh, break my rule of saying this once a week and do it twice. Um, it's not about being perfect. Uh, it's really heavy this week, so I really want to make sure everyone knows none of this is ever about being perfect. It's not about running a perfect race. But it does mean that you're fully committed to running it. No matter how many times you stumble, um, no matter how many times you fall. The worldly wise person toys with the idea of running the race, 
Maybe they buy the shirt to wear, they register, they go out for some practice runs, they tell all their friends they've signed up and that they're going to run, that they're training hard. Maybe they even watch YouTube videos for tips on the best way to run the race. But they never actually start running. The second word here is sincere, and the sense of it is unhypocritical. And this is why these two words are tied together. The one with truism is not hypocritical because they understand it does not matter how other people view them. It only matters how honestly and devotedly they live out their faith. And that doesn't mean, uh, what, what it really means is that you don't pretend to be better than you are. You, you're open about the fact that you are flawed and sinful. Paul called himself the least of the apostles because he wasn't looking to elevate himself. He understood he was a sinner and he was cut to the bone about how sinful he was as a person. He didn't care if people thought that he was a perfect person or the perfect leader of the church. He was honest about where he was. He, but he was also unwavering in his commitment to become more and more like Jesus every day. And the wise person understands this. There's no point in being hypocritical and saying, oh, I'm a perfect person, you know, you guys shouldn't do this, but I, I'm such a great person, and then going and being a sinful person anyways. Um, and Paul understood that. He, he was honest about where he was in his walk, but he still made it his life's mission to pursue holiness and to be like Jesus. And then finally, verse 18. And this is the final verse. I'm not going to tear this verse apart. I'm kind of just going to let it stand on its own because it's, it's really the central idea of this passage um, about what it means to be truly biblically wise. And it kind of reads like a proverb. It says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And if you're someone who memorizes scripture each week and you're looking for a verse that sort of encapsulates uh, the point of this passage, this is the perfect verse right here. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And that is what a truly biblically wise person does. So there's a few things I would like you all to take away from this passage. And when I do these kind of takeaways, I really try hard not to just write out and tell you how to apply a passage to your life, uh, because I really do think that that is between you and the Holy Spirit. But there are some things I would like you to remember about what heavenly wisdom looks like. And that is my hope that through the Holy Spirit, it will be made clear to each of us how we should be applying these passages to our lives. So the first thing I want you to remember is that wisdom is humble. True heavenly wisdom is humble. James asked the rhetorical question to start, who is wise and understanding among you? And if you answered me, no. <laughs> because wisdom is humble. The Greek word for wise, Sophia, describes one with moral insight and skill in the practical issues of life. And the Greek word for understanding, epistemon, refers to intellectual perception and scientific knowledge. His answer here is much like when he speaks about faith and works. If you have faith, prove it through your actions. And his answer here is the same. If you are wise and understanding, or if you want to be, prove it. 
Wisdom is not measured by degrees, but by deeds or actions. And that's how we judge people as wise or not, too, is by how they act and talk and behave. If someone asks you, who is the wisest person in your church, and you immediately think of somebody, think about why you consider them to be the wisest person, and, and what the traits are that make you think that way about them. And you'll probably see that they line up very closely to what we see biblically as the model for wisdom. Wisdom is not a matter of acquiring knowledge in lectures or through study, but by actually applying what you have learned to your life. True wisdom is portrayed through humility or wise meekness. The truly wise person is humble. Second, wisdom is gracious. True wisdom makes no room for the bitter envy that we saw or selfish ambition that we saw. Those who consider themselves wise by the world's standards, they boast in things. They boast in their wisdom and their understanding and in their envy and their ambition. But these are not things to boast about. To boast in these things, James says, is to deny the truth. Now, whether he's talking about the truth of the gospel here or the truth that they are not truly wise or understanding, not completely clear. Hopefully, uh, it's the latter because the first is very scary. But envy and self-ambition, selfish ambition, are clear indicators that someone's so-called wisdom is not heavenly or true wisdom, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, according to James. Envy and selfish ambition can only ever produce disorder and confusion in the church, and it spurns on evil and sin. And a truly wise person gets this. They don't seek glory or gain. They are gracious and giving. The third thing is that wisdom is peaceable. Not peaceful, peaceable. And it should be peaceful too. But peaceable means you're creating peace. Uh, peaceful means that you are peaceful. Uh, and the list of attributes you went to speak of someone who loves peace. Someone who makes peace by being considerate and tolerant. Someone who is submissive to authority and not rebellious. Someone who is merciful and produces good fruit in their life, who is impartial and who doesn't flip-flop in their faith, and who doesn't sow division, someone who is sincere and not hypocritical. Peace is the seed that is sown that yields a harvest of righteousness. And being peaceable, or a peacemaker, is the path that the truly wise person chooses to follow, because they know that it is the path that leads to righteousness. It's not about doing something because someone tells you. It's about doing it because you know it is the best way to live and it will yield the fruit that God desires in our lives. So to conclude, wisdom is more than just knowing a lot of stuff. True, smart, or having a high IQ, it isn't being well-liked or anything like that. True heavenly wisdom is about self-awareness, maturity, and discernment. It isn't enough to know something. You have to apply it. It's not just about knowing God's word and his laws. It's about understanding why his ways are better than our ways. Seeing clearly that his ways and his path leads to life. And then taking that knowledge and applying it to your life with no other mixed uh, motivations. If you want to be wise, if you seek wisdom and understanding, 
but your life is not filled with humility, graciousness, and peacefulness. That is the place to start. Seek his kingdom, seek his will, and seek his direction, and for the strength to follow him. True wisdom is much more concerned with the world to come than the one that is here now. The truly wise person lives their life focused on the world to come and not on what happens to us in this life. We should stand confidently in our faith, serve compassionately, and speak carefully in all that we do. We should seek to be what God wants us to be, do what God wants us to do, and speak as God wants us to speak. So my prayer for us all as we leave this week is that we would ask God with honesty to show us where we fall short in our own lives and to help us to see the world with his eyes so that we can truly understand why his ways are better than our ways and then begin to follow his ways and apply his word to our lives so that we can be effective in reaching a world that is desperate for him. I'm closing prayer. Father God, I thank you for this day. We are so thankful for your son and what he has done for us. And we are thankful for all the blessings that you've given us. God, we ask that you would give us the wisdom and understanding to know that your ways are better than our ways. I just ask that you would help us to be humble, gracious, and peaceable in our daily lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.